0: CHAPTER FIVE OF LOVE INSURANCE BY EARL DUR BIGGERS THIS LibriVox RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN, READING BY MATT Perard. CHAPTER FIVE, MR. TRIMMER THROWS HIS BOMB Miss Cynthia Merrick was a good many girls in one, so many, indeed, that it might truthfully be added that while most people are never so much alone as when in a crowd, Miss Mayrick was never so much in a crowd as when alone. Most of these girls were admirable. A few were more mischievous than admirable, but rely upon it that every single one of them was nice. It happened to be as a very serious-minded girl that Miss Meyrick opened her eyes on Tuesday morning. She lay for a long time watching the Florida sunshine, spoken of so tenderly in the railroad's come-on books, as it danced across the foot of her bed. Today, the Lilith was to steam into San Marco Harbor. Today, her bridegroom was to smile his slow British smile on her once more. She recalled these facts without the semblance of a thrill. Where, she wondered, was the thrill The frivolous girl who had met Lord Harrowby abroad and dazzled by dreams of social triumphs to come, had allowed her aunt to urge her into this betrothal, was not present at the moment. Had she been, she would have declared this Cynthia Merrick a silly, and laughed her into gaiety again. Into the room toddled the aunt, who had stood so faithfully on the coaching line abroad, With heavy wit, she spoke of the coming of Lord Harrowby. Miss Cynthia did not smile. She turned grave eyes on her aunt. "'I'm wondering,' she confessed, "'was it the thing to do, after all? Shall I be so very happy?' "'Nonsense. Ninety-nine out of a hundred engaged girls have doubts. It's natural.' Aunt Mary sat down on the bed, which groaned in agony. "'Of course you'll be happy.' You'll take precedence over Marion Bishop. Didn't we look that up? And after the airs she's put on when she's come back to Detroit. Well, you ought to be the happiest of girls. I know, but... Miss Merrick continued to gaze solemnly at her aunt. She was accustomed to the apparition. To anyone who knew Aunt Mary only in her public appearances, a view of her now would have been startling not to go too deeply into the matter she had not yet been poured into the steel girders that determined her public form her washed-out eyes were puffy and her gray hair was not so luxurious as it would be when she appeared in the hotel dining-room for lunch there she sat a fat little lump of a woman who had all her life chased will-o'-the-wisps but what she demanded firmly It seems as if all my fun were over. Didn't you feel that way when you became engaged? Hardly. But then I hadn't enjoyed everything money will buy, as you have. I've always said you had too much. There, dear, cheer up. You don't seem to realize why I can remember when you were born, in the flat down on Second Street, and your father wearing his old overcoat... Another year to pay the doctor's bill, and now that little fluffy baby is to marry into the peerage. Bless you, how proud your mother would be had she lived. Are you sure, Aunt Mary? Positive. Aunt Mary's eyes filled, and with a show of real, if clumsy, affection, she leaned over and kissed her niece. Come, dear, get up. I've ordered breakfast in the room's miss cynthia sat up and as if banished by that act the serious little mouse of a girl scampered into oblivion and in her place appeared a gay young rogue who sees the future lying bright ahead after all she smiled i'm not married yet and humming brightly from a current musical comedy not just yet just yet just yet she stretched forth one slim white arm to throw aside "'the coverlet at which point it is best discreetly to withdraw. "'Mr. Minot, after a lonesome, if abundant, breakfast, "'was at this moment strolling across the hotel courtyard "'toward yesterday morning's New York papers. "'As he walked, the pert promises of Mr. Trimmer filled his mind. "'What was the proposition Mr. Trim had in tow? "'How would it affect the approaching wedding?' and what course of action should the representative of jephson pursue when it was revealed for in the sensible light of morning, dick minot realized that while he remained in san marco as the guardian of jephson's interests he must do his duty adorable miss meyrick might be but any change of mind on her part must be over his dead body a promise was a promise with this resolve firm He proceeded along the hot sidewalk of San Sebastian Avenue. On his right, the rich shops, again, a dignified Spanish church as old as the town, a rambling, lackadaisical opera house. On his left, the green and sand-colored plaza, with the old Spanish governor's house in the center, now serving Uncle Sam as post office. A city of the past was this, other times, other manners, breathed in the air. At the newsstand, Minot met Jack Paddock, jaunty, with a gardenia in his buttonhole, and the atmosphere of prosperity that goes with it. "'Come for a stroll,' Paddock suggested. "'I presume you want the giddy story of my life I promised you yesterday. Been down to the old Spanish fort yet? No. Come ahead, and there on the ramparts I'll impart.' They went down the narrow and very modern street of the souvenir vendors, suddenly, the street ended, and they walked again in the past. The remnants of the old city gates were stored, loomed in the sunlight, they stepped through the portals, and Minot gave a gasp. There, in the quiet morning, stood the great gray fort that the early settlers had built to protect themselves from the gay dogs who roamed the seas. Its massive walls spoke clearly of romance, of bloody days of cutlass and spike, of bandaged heads and ready arms such things still stood still stood in the united states land of steam radiators and men who marched in suffrage parades the old caretaker led them in and they went up the stone steps to stand at last on the parapet looking down on the shimmering sea fresh from broadway it all seemed like a colorful dream they climbed to the highest point and sat swinging their legs over the edge Far below, the bright blue waters broke on the lower walls. It's a funny country down here, Paddock said slowly. A sort of too good to be true. Who believes it? Place. Bright and gay and full of green palms and so much like a musical comedy. You keep waiting all the time for the curtain to go down and the male population to begin its march up the aisle. I've been here three months, and I don't yet think it's really true. He shifted on the cold stones. Ever since white men hit on it, he went on, it sort of kept luring them here on full dream hunts, like a woman. Along about the time old Ponce de Leon came over here, prospecting for the fountain that nobody but Lillian Russell has located yet, another Spaniard, I forget his name, had a pipe dream too. He came over hot foot looking for a mountain of gold he dreamed was here i'm sorry for that old boy sorry for him repeated minot yes sorry he had the right idea but he arrived several hundred years too soon he should have waited until the yellow rich from the north showed up here then he'd have found his mountain he'd have found a whole range of them i suppose i'm to infer mr minot said that where he failed you've landed yes dick i am right on the mountain with my little alpenstock in hand i'm sorry replied minot frankly you might have amounted to something if you'd been separated from money long enough so i've heard paddock said with a yawn but it wasn't to be i haven't seen you since we left college have i Well, Dick, for a couple of years I tried to make good doing fiction. I turned them out by the yard. Nice, quiet little tea-table yarns with snappy dialogue. Once I got $80 for a story. It was hard work, and I always did yearn for the purple, you know. I know, said Minot gravely. Well, I've struck it, Dick. I've struck the deep purple with a loud, if sickening, thud. Hist! The graft I mentioned yesterday he glanced over his shoulder remember mrs bruce the wittiest hostess in san marco of course i do well i write her repartee for her her what her repartee her dialogue the bright talk she convulses dinner tables with instead of putting my smart stuff into stories at eighty per i sell it to mrs bruce at i'd be ashamed to tell you old man I remarked that it was essentially soft. It is. "'This is a new one on me,' said Minot, dazed. A delighted smile spread over Mr. Paddock's handsome face. "'Thanks. That's the beauty of it. I'm a pioneer. "'There'll be others, but I was the first. "'Consider the situation. Here's Mrs. Bruce.' loaded with diamonds and money, but tongue-tied in company, with a wit developed in Zanesville, Ohio. Bright but struggling, young author comes to her, offers to make her conversation the sensation of the place for a few pesos. You did that? Yes, I asked posterity to remember. It was I who invented the graft. Mrs. Bruce fell on my fair young neck, Now she gives me in advance a list of her engagements and for the important ones I devise her line of talk. Then as I'm usually present at the occasion, I swing things round for her and give her her cues. If I'm not there, she has to manage it herself. It's a great life, only a bit of a strain on me. I have to remember not to be clever in company. If I forget and spring a good one, she jumps on me proper afterward for not giving it to her jack said "Minot, slowly come way from here with me come north this place will finish you sure sorry old man laughed paddock but i've had a nip of the lotus this lazy old land suits me i'd like to sit on a veranda while a dusky menial in a white coat hands me the tinkle tinkle in a tall coal glass come away oh no i couldn't do that "'You'll marry down here,' sighed Minot. "'Some girl with money, "'and the career we all hoped you'd make for yourself "'will go up in a golden cloud.' "'I met a girl,' Paddock replied, "'half-closing his eyes and smiling cynically at the sea. "'Little thing from the Middle West, "'stopping at a back-street boarding-house, "'father in the hardware business, nobody at all, "'but eyes like the sea there, hands like butterflies,' sort of got me that's how i happen to know i'll never marry for if i married anybody it would have to be her and i let her go home without saying a word because i was selfish and liked this easy game and intend to stick to it until i'm smothered in rose leaves shall we wander back see here jack i don't want to preach minot tried to conceal his seriousness with a smile But if I were you, I'd stick to this girl and make good. And leave this? Paddock laughed. Dick, you old idiot. This is meat and drink to me, this nice old land of loiter in the sun. Nay, nay. Now I've really got to get back. Mrs. Bruce is giving a tango tea this afternoon. Informal, but something has to be said. These fellows who write a daily humorous column must lead a devil of a life. With a laugh, Minot followed his irresponsible friend down the steps, They crossed the bridge over the empty moat, and came through the city gates again to the street of the alligator. By the way, Paddock said as they went up the hotel steps, you haven't told me what brought you south. Business, Jack, said Minot. It's a secret. Perhaps I can tell you later. Business? I thought, of course, you came for pleasure. There'll be no pleasure in this trip for me, said Minot bitterly. Oh, won't there, Paddock laughed. Wait till you hear Mrs. Bruce talk. See you later, old man. At luncheon, they brought Mr. Minot a telegram from a certain 17th floor in New York. An explosive telegram. It read, Nonsense. Nobody here to take your place. See it through. You've given your word. Thacker. Gloomily, Mr. Minot considered. What was there to do but see it through? Even though Thacker should send another to take his place, could he stay to woo the lady he adored? Hardly. In that event, he would have to go away, never see her again, never hear her voice. If he stayed as Jefferson's representative, he might know the glory of her nearness for a week, might thrill at her smile, even while he worked to wed her to Lord Harrowby and perhaps who could say hard as he might work might he not be thwarted it was possible so after lunch he sent thacker a reassuring message promising to stay and at the end of a dull hour in the lobby he set out to explore the town the mermaid tea-house stood on the waterfront with a small second-floor balcony that looked out on the harbor passing that way at four-thirty that afternoon Minot heard a voice call to him. He glanced up. Oh, Mr. Minot, won't you come into my parlor? Cynthia Mayrick smiled down on him. Splendid, Minot laughed. I walk forlorn through this old Spanish town. Suddenly a lattice is thrown wide. A fair hand beckons. I dash within. Thanks for dashing, Miss Meyrick greeted him on the balcony. I was finding it dreadfully dull. But I'm afraid the Spanish romance is a little lacking. There is no moonlight, no lattice, no mantilla, no Spanish beauty. No matter, Minot answered. I never did care for Spanish types. They flash like a sky rocket, then tumble in the dark. Now the homegrown girls. And nothing but tea, she interrupted. "Will you have a cup? Thanks. Was it really very dull? Yes. This book was to blame. She held up a novel. What's the matter with it? Oh, it's one of those books in which the hero and heroine are forever gazing into each other's eyes, and they understand perfectly, but the reader doesn't. I've reached one of those gazing matches now. But isn't it so in real life? When people gaze into each other's eyes, don't they usually understand? Do they? Don't they? "'You surely have had more experience than I.' "'What makes you think so?' she smiled, "'because your eyes are so very easy to gaze into.' "'Mr. Minot, you're gazing into them, brazenly, "'and neither of us understand, do we?' "'Oh, no, we're both completely at sea.' "'There!' she cried triumphantly. "'I told you these authors were all wrong.' "'Minot,' "'having begun to gaze, found difficulty in stopping. "'She was near, she was beautiful, "'and a promise made in New York was a dim and distant thing. "'The railroad folders try to make you believe "'Florida is an annex to heaven,' he said. "'I used to think they were lying. "'But,' she blushed. "'But what, Mr. Minot? "'He leaned close, a strange light in his eyes. "'He opened his mouth to speak.' Suddenly he glanced over her shoulder, and the light died from his eyes. His lips set in a bitter curve. Nothing, he said. A silence. Mr. Minot, you've grown awfully dull. Have I? I'm sorry. Must I go back to my book? She was interrupted by the shrill, triumphant cry of a yacht's siren at her back. She turned her head. The Lilith, she said. Exactly, said Minot. The bridegroom cometh. Another silence. You'll want to go to meet him, Minot said, rising. He stood looking at the boat, flashing gaily in the sunshine. I'll go with you as far as the street. But you know Lord Harrowby. Meet him with me. It seems hardly the thing. But I'm not sentimental, and surely Alan's not. Then I must be, said Minot. Really, I'd rather not. They went together to the street. At the parting of the ways, Minot turned to her. I promised Lord Harrowby in New York, he told her, that you would have your lamp trimmed and burning. She looked up at him. A mischievous light came into her eyes. Please, have you a match? she said. It was too much. Minot turned and fled down the street. He did not once look back, though it seemed to him that he felt every step the girl took "'across the narrow pier to her fiancé's side. "'As he dressed for dinner that night, his telephone rang "'and Miss Mayrick's voice sounded over the wire. "'Harrowby remembers you very pleasantly. "'Won't you join us at dinner?' "'Are you sure, an outsider?' he began. "'Nonsense. Mr. Martin Wall is to be there.' "'Ah, thank you. I'll be delighted,' Minot replied. In the lobby, Harrowby seized his hand. My dear chap, you're looking fit. Great to see you again. By the way, do you know Martin Wall? Yes, Mr. Wall and I met just before the splash. Minot smiled. He shook hands with Wall, unaccountably genial and beaming. The Hudson, Mr. Wall, is a bit chilly in February. My dear fellow, said Wall, can you ever forgive me? "'A thousand apologies. "'It was all a mistake, a horrible mistake.' "'I felt like a rotter when I heard about it,' Harrowby put in. "'Martin mistook you for someone else. "'You must forgive us both.' "'Freely,' said Minot, "'and I want to apologize for my suspicions of you, Lord Harrowby. "'Thanks, old chap. "'I never doubted you would come after I saw Miss Mayrick.' she is a ripper isn't she said harrowby enthusiastically martin wall shot a quick almost hostile glance at minot you've noticed that yourself haven't you he said in minot's ear at which point the merrick family arrived and they all went in to dinner that function could hardly be described as hilarious aunt mary fluttered and gasped in her triumph and spoke often of her horror of the new The recent admission of automobiles to the sacred precincts of Bar Harbor seemed to be the great and disturbing fact in life for her. Spencer Meyer said little. His thoughts were far away. The rush and scramble of a business office, the click of typewriters, the excitement of the dollar chase—these things had been his life. Deprived of them, like many another exile in the South, he moved in a dim world of unrealities and wished that he were home. Minot, too, had little to say. On Martin Wall fell the burden of entertainment, and he bore it as one trained for the work. Blithely he gossiped of queer corners that had known him, and amid the flow of his oratory the dinner progressed. It was after dinner when they all stood together in the lobby a moment before separating, that Mr. Henry Trimmer made good his promise out of a clear sky. Cynthia Merrick stood facing the others, talking brightly, when suddenly, her face paled and the flippant words died on her lips. They all turned instantly. Through the lobby, in a buzz of excited comment, a man walked slowly, his eyes on the ground, he was a tall blond Englishman not unlike Lord Harrowby in appearance his gray eyes when he raised them for a moment were listless his shoulders stooped and weary and he had a long drooping mustache that hung like a weeping willow above a particularly cheerless stream however it was not his appearance that excited comment and caused miss meyrick to pale Hung over his shoulders was a pair of sandwich boards, such as the outcasts of a great city carry, up and down the streets, and on the front board, turned full toward Miss Merrick's dinner party, was printed in bold black letters, I am the real Lord Harrowby. With a little gasp and a murmured apology, Miss Merrick turned quickly and entered the elevator lord harrowby stood like a man of stone gazing at the sandwich boards it was at this point that the hotel detective sufficiently recovered himself to lay eager hands on the audacious sandwich man and propel him violently from the scene in the background mr minot perceived henry trimmer puffing excitedly on a big black cigar a triumphant look on his face mr trimmer's bomb was thrown End of chapter 5